Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. This is the red-headed preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. I'm standing right outside our church building at Oakton Street and Laramie Avenue, across from the Skokie Village Library, um, just a little bit before our service. And uh, wanted to let you know that uh, today's message is uh, different than what I originally picked it to be. Um, it's called remembering, excuse me, recognizing the resurrection. And I was just struck Saturday, not only with that title, but how this was also one of the themes in my first draft and my first title. In the end, I rewrote most of the sermon yesterday afternoon, early evening. And uh, I'm glad I did. So, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the resurrections that Christ gives us in our own lives and even to the world, uh, please join me in the spirit of prayer. Great and gracious God, we give you most sincere and profound thanks for the gift of the resurrection of Christ from the dead and over the powers of sin and death. We give you thanks that this means he is always present, available for us. And how resurrection in his, in his name also is. Not only in the next life, but in this life. May our lives reflect our gratitude, for your mercy turns us into grateful people. In the name of Christ, the risen one, we pray. Amen. All right. The next voice you should hear is our elector. Our first reading is the, le the letter of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The author talks about life as people of the resurrection. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. This ends the reading of the epistle. Our gospel lesson for the first time in a number of years, is from the Gospel according to John, the first 18 verses of chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in, and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Boni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Here ends the reading from John and our scriptures for this Easter morning service. Monday, Thursday night, I saw my wife Beth, I think she was wearing a mask, come to, uh, come to the pew where Angela and Harrison Kuras and Angela's mom were sitting. And she extended her hand and said, Hi, I'm Beth. I turned to Jennifer Schneider in the narthex like, She knows Angela. Is it the mask? Because Angela was masked. Jennifer told me it's, it's kind of an inside thing. Well, Beth and Angela met long ago. But on Ash Wednesday night, was it? Um, Angela with a mask sat right behind Beth, not her usual pew. And Beth turned around and greeted her unknowing. Hi, I'm Beth. Angela replied, hi, I'm Angela. <laughs> and then Beth saw that it was the mask that kept her from recognizing Angela right off. When Angela said who she was, then Beth recognized her. So now it's a little joke they have when they meet. I don't know if it's just with masks or not, but it's like Monday, Thursday night. Hi, I'm Beth. Hi, I'm Angela. There are times that we have not recognized 
people we know, right? And it doesn't have to be because someone's wearing a mask. You just don't recognize them. It can be embarrassing. Sometimes, sometime you or a friend might be misrecognized as a celebrity. The late Ken Burmeister used to be confused as Guy Fieri. They thought they were meeting Guy Fieri, but no, it was Ken Burmeister. My brother David used to be approached by persons who would ask, you're George Kennedy, aren't you? The late actor. So we may not uh, judge Mary Magdalene too harshly when she met Jesus at the tomb and mistook him for the gardener. Some of the books I read before writing this homily, and by the way, the title is wrong. I rewrote it late yesterday. The title is Recognizing the Resurrection. Okay, back to where I was. Um, some of the books I read before writing this homily mentioned the theory that grieving, weeping Mary's eyes were swollen with tears affecting her eyesight at that moment. I do not buy that. Mary was surely crying her eyes out. Three times in the reading, she is referred to as weeping, including when the angels and Christ himself asked why she is weeping. She did not recognize him, but I don't think it was because of the veil of tears. I think it was because of the resurrection. If you are a regular at St. Peter's, you're probably thinking already now about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus on Easter night. Jesus had met with them and talked with them on the way about how the scriptures uh, foretold how Jesus was Messiah, and they did not perceive that this was Jesus resurrected until what? He blessed and broke the bread they were about to share. Then they recognized him. Mary was not alone. When Jesus met the other, first met the other ten disciples after the resurrection, appearing despite their locked doors, he said, peace be with you. They were terrified. It does not say they recognized him. Not until he showed them his pierced hands and side and then repeated his words, peace be with you, then it says they were glad when they saw the Lord. Maybe they didn't recognize him right away either. And near the end of Matthew, it said that the disciples worshipped him, but some doubted. It was normal not to recognize the risen Lord the first time they met him. Now first, let's admit that changed appearance aside, to be confronted with someone you knew had recently died and been buried, and they're talking to you. That's going to mess with anybody's mind all by itself. So let's put that in that context. But I do believe that Jesus had, the Jesus they encountered did have a changed physical and spiritual presence. There is a miraculous aspect to this event beyond the faith fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. It has to do with why the disciples did not realize who he was at first post-resurrection. In part, it's about his burial linens. Simon Peter and the beloved disciples saw them. The linens that had covered his corpse were laying on the shelf of the crypt, or perhaps on the ground, and not 
as if he or someone else had unwrapped them or peeled them off. No, they lay there as William Barclay reads the Greek sense, he said, still in their folds. The corroborating notes in my study Bible report, Jesus' body had escaped without the linen wrappings being unwound. The cloth, which had been wrapped about Jesus' head, lay apart, still rolled up. And then it went on to say, Faith grasped the evidence that Jesus had not been resuscitated from a swoon or stolen. He had been transformed without corruption into his resurrection body. It's like his body had departed the grave clothes, leaving them as if his body had been like vaporized within them, and they fell empty into place without a body filling them in but they looked like they, there was a body in them. They weren't moved from that. So the body of Christ, as it was raised, resurrected, it did undergo fundamental change, which helps explain why Mary did not recognize him outside the tomb, and how Jesus was able to enter that locked room where the other disciples, minus Thomas, were later that night. Mary did not recognize the resurrected Christ until he spoke her name. She came to that tomb with a very heavy and grief-stricken heart and a head full of worry. Where did they take him? Like, what's going on? What might be happening to his body? But what happened next at the tomb rocked the rest of her life. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai. As Frederick Bruner put it, she turned around, that's a quote from, she turned around and then wrote, in the one or two seconds this took, this turn took, he said, I imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis at about this turn's one second point mid midpoint trajectory. History, too, moved imperceptibly from B.C. to A.D. A second before this turn, there is a woman in the deepest human despair, in the agonizing presence of inconquerable death. A second after the beginning of this turn. There is a woman in the deepest possible human elation in the presence of the death-conquering central figure in history. And Bruner capitalized the C for central and the F in figure in the presence of the death-conquering central figure of history. When she turned to look at him at this moment, human history took a turn to a responsible hope for the vincibility of death, and so 
the conquest of meaninglessness, end quote. Then and only then did she recognize the resurrected Christ. She had, he had listened to her burdensome worry, asked her why she was crying, and then he called her by name. She became the first witness to the resurrection because she went and told the others. Jürgen Moltmann, whose theology I learned at seminary and still informs some of my beliefs today, said that without female preachers, there wouldn't be a church. Why? Because the resurrection would not have been proclaimed to the disciples to take it. They, didn't, they wouldn't have known if it weren't for Mary and the other women in the other Gospels. It's very reminiscent, too, of Jesus' words earlier in John when he spoke of how his sheep know his voice and he knows his sheep, calling them by name. And Mary goes to the ten whom Jesus finds later behind that locked door and belief in the power of God over death. She goes to that whom Jesus later finds behind that door and belief in the power of God over death. For Peter, the belief that Jesus could forgive him after he had denied Jesus three times began and continued apace in the next chapter. The belief that Jesus could forgive him began. The belief that Pilate, Judas Iscariot, the temple hierarchy, an uneducated mob, and an oppressive, violent empire were never going to defeat the power of God, that belief, and the love of God, and in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, the belief that they were never going to defeat God's power, that began. And they, and the church that followed them over the millennia, and even others who were influenced by the teachings of the church came to believe that if they would not, could not meet the risen Christ himself, they still believed that he was raised. There was still, and always will be, in the name of Christ, holy resurrection to be recognized. Yes, with all honor due to Mary Magdalene, let us learn to recognize resurrection. We can look for signs of the risen Christ at work in the church and in the world today. You and I can also look for and recognize and celebrate the resurrection at work in some places in our larger society when love and justice and peace and forgiveness transform people and ministries and agencies and courts and congresses into instruments of God's wonderful providence and grace. This morning, I received the daily devotional of the United Church of Christ, and I thought, this is so good, this is where I should even put it into my sermon. And it's disappeared. This is not supposed to happen. This is where I'm supposed to rant against technology, right? It's not going to happen. But where are you? I had even had it here as a window to open. And it's not here. So don't worry. Hang on. Here it goes. This is from the UCC's daily devotional. It's called This Is Not the End, and it was written by Molly Basket. And she quotes from Mark and Matthew about the resurrection. 
So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, meaning the women. That's in Mark. And then, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. That's Matthew. And then the Reverend Basket writes, Mark ended his masterpiece of a gospel on a cliffhanger, a resurrection with question marks. Luke, Matthew, and John, writing later, embellished the story, adding multiple appearances and new miracles by the risen Jesus. Maybe they had better intel than Mark. Maybe they created fiction for a people craving hope. Or maybe they had a lived experience of a Christ who kept showing up, shaping, and saving their lives. A double thousand years later, we pick up these four stories and find our own resurrections in them every year. The original Easter story has still never ended, she writes. It goes on in endless song above earth's lamentations. When the humans I love are facing hard times, she writes, which seems to be all the time these days, I am fond of lifting up the modern proverb, everything turns out all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. We will not all survive the current apocalypse. We will not all be raised from our sick beds or our tombs. Some of us will lose jobs or businesses we have spent a lifetime building. Marriages that might have made it otherwise, absurdly pressured by chronic stress and exhaustion, can end in divorce. But after all of these endings, there will be new beginnings, some of them visible and tellable, others beyond the veil of earthly earth, earthly death. So she says, Easter is not a history lesson with a tidy ending, but an invitation to look past death in all its disguises. After every death, new things get born. You may sometimes have a year of Good Fridays, but Easter will always arrive. It is as inevitable as sunrise after the long night. And she wrote this prayer, God, your servants didn't write four resurrection stories, but eight billion. We are all little gospels still being told. Thank you for telling us. Now, if you were to read Molly Basket's book, Real Good Church, you'd know about a church in a college town in Massachusetts that when she arrived as pastor, averaged about 35 people in worship, had trouble paying the bills, and had a dilapidated old building needing lots of help. By the time she left, they averaged 120 or so in worship, had a booming Sunday school, coffee hour every week, which was actually a brunch every week. And after many years, and it took many years, the budget was in the black. That, my friends, is resurrection by the power of God and the power of God working through willing, open to try new things, members there. Let's recognize resurrections, bearing witness that Christ is alive and at work in our midst. You and I recognize resurrection by the grace of God when people who have gone through so much suffering, of whatever kinds, somehow are enabled to build a new life out of the tomb of the old. Addicts can find a higher power. 
or not escaping what some have called escaping hell and finding new life. If it isn't heaven, there's new life once death is left behind. I think of the LGBTQ plus communities who knew far too well, far too long, that they could not authentically be who they are and were in communities, meaning were those in the past. In communities of Christian faith, could not authentically be who they were. The gay bashing wasn't is horrific enough. Murders of transgendered persons still go on, as we note in November. And yet out of these tombs of theirs, we, and I hope they, can recognize resurrection, where now there is new life in their truly being welcomed into many churches. Not just being welcomed, being included in the life of many churches. And not only included, but affirmed in all aspects of ministry in many churches. There is new life in these communities in relationship with faith communities. The spirit of new life out of death breathes and marches on. And lastly, before I close, when I meet with parishioners whose earthly life is nearing an end, and they share with me that they know what's going on and they're not afraid. They're not afraid of death. They're at peace. To me, they have experienced resurrection within themselves already. There is resurrection. Let us recognize all of these kinds. This is our hope in life and in death. As individual Christians perhaps facing death, as congregations listening for Christ to call them by name, and that wider swaths of the world experience the majestic power of agape love as they and we recognize and participate in resurrection and transformation. For Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Blessed Eastertide to all of you. Thank you for spending part of your time with us as we commemorated, celebrated, rejoiced at, sang Alleluia to the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. We'll continue to uh, unpack this event this uh, shifting in the axis, as it were, when we shifted from uh, B.C. to A.D., if I may borrow from Professor Bruner. Um, I'm grateful for those who listened. I'm especially grateful for the resurrection. Um, every Sunday, you know, we worship on Sundays because each Sunday is meant to be a mini festival of that resurrection. So may you know resurrection in this life as well as in the next by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a fantastic and blessed week. Bye. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash 
St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much 